Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. All right, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Right Podcast. I'm Miami Hurricanes beat writer Manny Navarro of The Athletic. It's Thursday, July 28th, around 10 a.m., and uh, Miami should get another commitment here today. Uh, They're up to 15 uh, after they picked up four-star linebacker Malik Bryant on Wednesday. He's uh, the number 61 player, number 61 ranked player in the uh, 247 sports uh, rankings and – Big pickup for the Hurricanes, but they're going to get Tommy Kinsler uh, tonight. That's sort of the expectation, the former Florida Gators uh, commitment and a guy who uh, I think was a Gator commitment for probably five days before he visited Miami and uh, decided to flip. And I thought, well, the Canes have been winning a lot of recruiting battles here lately. Why don't we get our Gators writer on to come talk about this? Because I'm sure it's a storyline in his world. And, And of course, I'm talking about Alan Taylor, our Gators beat writer over at the Athletic. Alan Thanks for doing this with me, man. Manny, happy to do it, man. Looks like uh, I'm, I'm committing to a gay, uh, to a Canes podcast today, so I guess you're <laughs> flipping me as well. <laughs> yeah, and and I've had you on when I when I was doing my radio show before with uh, Big O uh, over at the station that he had a couple of years ago. You were gracious to come on and and talk with me a few times, so I, I definitely enjoyed getting you on here. There may be some Hurricanes fans rolling their eyes because we've got a Gator beat writer on, but. Uh, you know, I know Miami and Florida aren't playing each other, but I mean, there is a lot of recruiting battles going on between the Gators and Hurricanes. Um, you know, right now, Billy Napier and Mario Cristobal are going after a lot of the same guys. And so far, it feels like Mario's winning the battle most of the time, if not all the time. Um, I know Florida hosted, uh, you know, four guys that Miami ended up getting as commitments, including five-star Francis Maui Goa, the offensive tackle, who's the number one recruit in Miami's class. They got Jaden Rashada, the quarterback out of California. Malik Bryan is somebody who, who visited Florida, and, and I thought, you know, it was basically a Miami-Florida battle down the stretch. And then uh, Raul Pop, uh, Popo Aguirre, the other four-star linebacker that Miami picked up, he visited Florida as well. So, um, and and there's more recruiting battles uh, going down here. I guess my first question to you, and, and I, you and I have talked off air quite a bit about, you know, 
these NIL deals and, and everything else going on. But I guess my first question to you is what's what's kind of the the feedback in Florida? Because I see a lot of angry messages on on message boards and, and, and tweets and all that. But I don't know what what sort of the the thought process and what's happening here on some of these recruiting battles between the Gators and Hurricanes. Well, you know, some coaches are hired because they have developed Heisman winning quarterbacks or they have developed uh, a, a string of NFL draft picks. Napier was brought in because obviously he had Sunbelt success, but because they thought he would be the anti Dan Mullen in recruiting um, because of his organizational skills, the way he approaches it. Uh, he's very much like I would say Mario or, or Kirby smart in his approach. And so the fans thought, well, the first wins, even before he coaches a game, you know, they were convinced the first wins were going to be on the recruiting trail. And so far, I mean, you know, Mario's doing, doing the deal down there. Right. And, and Miami's really rolling. Florida has a, has a decent class in the works, but quite frankly, the numbers right now would be what you would have expected from Mullen as well. So they haven't seen that instant return like you're seeing on Miami. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, concern that the, the quote unquote Napier army with all these staffers and all these uh, people who are brought in initially to impress the recruits on campus and to uh, sort of team recruit them throughout the process. It hasn't landed the, the splash players yet. Again, I think it's 18 or 20 in that range on 24-7, and I think it'll wind up in the in the mid-teens or high teens, but that's that's where Mullen's worst classes were. So I think Florida fans were hoping for a top seven, top five type of class, and of course, you know, Miami's trending in that direction, and the Gators aren't. Yeah, and you know, every time Miami picks up a commitment or something happens on the recruiting trail, I try to tweet out the uh, 247 composite standings because this is this is what Miami fans celebrate now, right? It's been 20 plus years <laughs> since they've won a national championship. They still never won an ACC title. So, uh this these recruiting victories are big uh for the Hurricanes, right? They want to do their their touchdown Randall Hill celebrations, right? In the, in the Cotton Bowl. Um yesterday when Miami picked up Malik Bryant, they moved up to 7th. Uh Florida I think was 23rd. Florida State 45th, UCF uh, 62, FAU 74th, USF 102nd, and then FIU, uh, my alma mater, uh, rounding out 118. So those are the Sunshine State 247 composite rankings. Um, I, I, look, the Gators are going to have some good recruits they are going to pick up here in the, in the next few. They're in on, on some good kids, and, and you know that as well. So they're not, they're going to be somewhere, I think, in the top 15, probably when it's all said and done. Um, but Head-to-head victories in recruiting, you know, Miami wasn't winning many battles with the Gators in the past. And Mario's definitely come in and changed that. Uh, Again, I'm not going to be naive and say NIL and John Ruiz and all that doesn't play a factor. But the Gators have a collective, too. It's not like they're not, you know, working to get guys deals and whatnot. So I guess my question to you is um, what from that aspect of it, you know, do the Gators simply feel you know, and I, I guess the fans feel this way, but th- does Napier and, and that staff just feel they're getting outbid for players right now? You know, there's the there's the private conversations and there's the public line, um, and and I think that there is some of that involved, but you know, I don't I don't hear a lot of hand wringing about that quite honestly, because as you mentioned, the Gators have two collectives really. You know, one that's a high dollar deal called the Gator Guard by Hugh Hathcock, who's sort of I guess 
Florida's Ruiz, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> can you can you say can you say a poor man's Ruiz? Because I don't even know if that uh, you know fits and you're worth seven or eight hundred million. Um, and obviously they got the Gator Collective, which is more of a subscription-based deal that that fans are hopping on and uh, getting some some money to the players who are currently on the roster. I know Napier feels very strongly, and I don't think it's just uh, integrity talk for the public. I know he feels very strongly about paying the players who are on the roster. And when it comes to getting into a bidding war for a kid who hasn't played his senior season of high school yet, that makes him very uneasy. And, and uh, I think we've talked about this a little bit, that this NIL weirdness as far as high dollars for recruits, might, it might be a narrow window. And I think you're going to see in a couple of years when there are a few more guardrails that the players on campus will, will, will get what they get, but it might not be as big of an inducement uh, uh, on the recruiting trail, but man, I mean, forget all that because recruiting is recruiting. It's never been an honest man's game, right? Um, kids in the seventies and eighties were getting paid to take visits and to come to schools. I mean, that it's part of it. And so you can't really complain because I think everybody is quote unquote cheating to some degree, whether it's cheating that is uh, accepted within various schools. And then there's a certain level where they're like, Hey, that's too far. You know, I don't, I don't know what is too far under the NIL thing, but uh, you, you can't sit there and complain about what Miami's doing and then hope your school is doing it, right? I mean, either don't complain or complain and don't do it. And, I, and so I think uh, kudos to Miami for, for hitting the ground running. This isn't happening just because Mario has a name, right? He's got a good staff. He's got uh, a good approach to recruiting. And quite honestly, he's, he's not – He's not selling recent success that even Florida's had. And, you know, I know we're going to talk about realignment a little bit. Nobody apparently has negatively recruited Miami out of these pursuits by telling kids that they're in the ACC and they're going to be a group of five conference in three or four years. You know, that, that hasn't had time to take hold and no one's uh, seizing upon that. So Miami's getting it done just flat out and they're getting good players. And this is one of those foundational classes that if, if you stack another class on top of it, you know, is going to win an ACC championship or put you in a position to, if not win more. Yeah. And you and I have been around the game a long time. Yesterday I started doing some research because I was like, well, can Miami stack classes the way that they need to, to win a championship? So I, I went and I researched and I looked at the last uh, three national champions and the five recruiting classes that led to those championships. And I'm not going to bore people with a bunch of numbers, but I mean, look, every one of these SEC schools, comes from a, a a rich background in recruiting, right? Like even when they even when George and LSU weren't winning championships, okay, in in the last three years, mm-hmm. they were they were still putting together top 10, top 15 classes consistently. But I want to give fans a little bit of a number here of what they need to think about in terms of the quality of the recruits. Because when I when I sent out a few tweets yesterday, um, I'm looking at my Twitter account here. So I apologize because I didn't have this ready to go. But I kind of sent out the average number because, you know, everybody gets caught up with, well, what are they ranked overall? And, and, you know, that, that number is always sort of, you know, affected by how many commitments they have. Right. To me, the average recruiting ranking almost is more valuable. It's a bigger number that, that says a lot more. So this was yesterday. And and this was after Miami picked up Malik Bryant. They they moved in the fifth averaging a 92.71 rating, right? Average recruit rating. Uh, Alabama was first 94.25. Ohio State second, 93-73, Georgia third, 93-38, and then Notre Dame, 93-31. And, you know, uh, you, you look at 
at, at what Georgia did, for instance, the last five years, I averaged it out uh, 93.252. That's what you have to average over five years yeah. to get that kind of talent. Alabama, the five years before their 2020 national championship, 93.232. Um, LSU was also in the 90s, right? Uh, 90.634. So I think in terms of the quality of players, like, and you go back and you look at Miami, for instance, I didn't do this for Florida. I should have since I have you on here, but you look at Miami's recruiting average, the last three cycles, 20, 21, and 22, they're right around 90, 91, right around those numbers. So to me, the recruiting is getting better. This Mario class, this, this 2022 class is going to be the one that kind of sets them over the top. But I mean, the, the bottom line is whatever it is Billy and Mario are doing, I mean, it can't just be one year. This has to be, you know, a, a long distance level of recruiting for, for either one of these programs. Do you get the sense at all, though, that eventually Billy is going to get there is my question. Do you think they're going to be that kind of level? Or do you do you right now see it as Mario's going to be the better recruiter here for the next few years? I think Napier's approach is set up long term. In fact, you saw that some with last year's class when there were some top 200 prospects right before December signing day that he wanted to evaluate personally as opposed to just saying we're going to take them because they've been committed to Florida for a while. And that's why you see three really good receivers wind up at uh, Alabama, uh, Oklahoma, and Georgia. And those were guys that, you know, could have been in the rotation this year, but he wanted to lay eyes on them and had not done so yet. One of those was a top 50 recruit. And in my mind, I'm like, hey, that, that's, that's, a, that's a gift, man. You should just take it in and run with it. But he has a process and they trust it. Um, and – you know, those guys went elsewhere because they weren't willing to, to do that, that first-hand evaluation so late in the game. So I think it will work. Uh, again, there's impatience that it's not working as well as fans know it needs to work now. Because as you know, top 15 may play well at uh, UCLA or even Michigan, quite honestly. Top 15 in the SEC means you're, you're seventh or eighth. Mm-hmm. And, and Miami's now recruiting this year at an SEC level. You know, they, the, the recruits, the class they're bringing in would be perfectly at home in Baton Rouge or even Athens or maybe even Tuscaloosa. So they're there. Florida's not. But long term, man, I feel like Napier is so relational, which was something Mullen was not. Uh, you know, Dan would rather diagram plays and scheme offenses than spend an extra 15 minutes on the phone with various recruits. Billy understands the importance of that. And he's he's demanded a staff large enough to where that other stuff can get taken care of. And so I think there will be a Saban-esque approach um, to, to, to what they did, have done in Alabama from recruiting, which let's be honest, Mario is replicating some of that as well. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, maybe starting with the 2024 class, you could expect Florida to be top 10 and climbing, uh, it's, it's just that everybody's looking at 2023, and if it doesn't happen this year, well, in the minds of fans, well, that pushes you one year back as far as when you can't compete. Because as you mentioned with all those numbers and those, those stats, it's going to take a couple classes to compete for a national championship. I, personally, I think in the ACC, one good class from Miami could get you to an ACC championship because I'm, I'm looking at Wake Forest, right? Mm-hmm. They've never recruited at that level. But, you know, Miami has designs on being more than just – uh, a nine win ACC championship team, right? They want to win yeah. 11 or 12 and get in the, the CFP. So yeah, I think Napier will get there. And I think you're setting yourself up for some really, really interesting recruiting battles down the, down the road for everything from the Southern half of the state down. You know, I feel like Florida feels like from Orlando up, they've got a good shot, but man, it's, it's tougher 
in South Florida with, with Mario there. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, and he and he, to be honest, Alan, he hasn't really even started in South Florida. Like to me, um, you know, he's gone. He's gone national. Uh, and, and I know I think it was uh, Ari Wasserman and uh, Andy Staples in their podcast, um, you know, last week that I heard it when I was driving through Georgia on my, on my way back home from vacation. Nice. Uh, I, I heard them talking about how Georgia only has like two or three in-state commitments. The rest of their guys are national. So it really I mean, yes, you want to win in your own backyard, but. Um, you know, these national programs, they recruit nationally and they go, go out and get the best players all over the country. That said, it is important to, to win some of these in-state battles. And, you know, at least in South Florida so far, you know, Mario, I think he's got three or four commitments from, from yeah. you know, the Dade Broward area. I don't know where Florida's at with that. Um, you know, if they've gotten anybody yet, I haven't looked at their at their full list. But, you know, um, it, it is going to matter in the long run because there's always going to be great players that come out of here. Um, let's talk about... Uh, We'll hit on this real quick. Let's talk about some of these commitments. Hey, let more. me let my dog out. My dog is yeah, going to go ahead. Do up, your thing. Uh, do it on your podca- podcast or going on my floor if I don't open this slide door. <laughs> yeah, 10 let seconds. Him, let, let him out, brother. No problem. I, I was just going to say, as, as Alan's letting the dog out, I uh, love, love these breaks that we have. Um, you know, the five commitments uh, that Miami, I'm going to say they're five victories for the five victories for Miami here, um, you know, against Florida. Francis Maui Goa, Jaden Rashada, Malik Bryant. Uh, Raul Popo Aguirre and, and then Tommy Kinsler, who's expected to pick Miami today. I guess of, of those kids that committed to Miami, which one you think stung the Gators the most um, and why? Well, you got the guy that they, they wanted the most. And I would say that's uh, that's Francis because the offensive line recruiting has really been the, the thing that's missing the last few years. Uh, obviously Rashada got the most publicity because quarterbacks are such high-profile recruits, and they're viewed as program changers. And so there was a lot of, a lot of noise around that commitment or uh, recruiting battle. Uh, but, you know, Bryant, they need help in the linebacking room. They really did. And there was some feeling that when he postponed his announcement a few days that, that Florida might make a run at him, and I think they did. But ultimately, you know, he's, he's there as well. So uh, really, uh, you know, Francis and Bryant were the, were the two – I'm sorry, Francis and Rashad were the two that – um, that would that would make sense at the time and and stung. Although I will say, you know, there are a lot of stuff, <laughs> as you know, that's going to come out about that quarterback recruitment down yeah. the line. And and they have backfilled that role uh, with a kid, uh, Marcus Stokes from Jacksonville, that they really like. And there's some there's some metrics that they like to support that decision as well. Um, but I mean, everybody that Miami has signed in the you know the top two three hundred. Uh, Florida has been on and has wanted, and even a guy like Kinsler, who, as you know, is 
the rating doesn't doesn't That's grab right. your attention at all, right? Yeah. But offensive line coaches from the previous staff, this one, and obviously the guys at Miami feel like he's sort of a, a sleeping gem there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, if, if one program says that, you're sort of, eh, maybe. Uh, when multiple programs say that, then maybe the recruiting rating is just off on him and, and they know how to project guys on the O-line. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, there's no question. And, and Miami, you know, look, there were other guys that they were in on, like Peyton Kirkland, uh, who's a four-star offensive tackle, um, you know, Olasa Lennon. I know that they're celebrating this Kinsler victory that's that's supposed to happen tonight um, because they, they really like him, and I think they think he's going to be a really elite elite guard um, at, at the next level here. Um, there are a couple of other uncommitted guys, and I actually talked to one of them that Miami and Florida are both recruiting. I talked to him yesterday, Monroe Freeling, the four-star offensive tackle out of South Carolina, who's ranked 62nd in the 247 sports composite, uh, 6'7", 290-pound tackle, just a guy that I think Florida obviously badly wants uh, yeah. in his class. Um, I, when I talked to him yesterday, and I, you know, I, the sense I got was I think he was probably hoping to go to Notre Dame, and then Notre Dame kind of wrapped up their recruiting, which is good for Miami and Florida. It, I would say it's more important for the Gators to win. But um, you know he, what he told me was, look, I, I really like both programs. He visited both Miami and Florida in June. Uh, I think on back-to-back weekends, Florida first, then Miami. And I think he was out at a Gators practice as well. Really felt good about um, you know what he saw there with Nate Beer in the offensive line. Then he goes to Miami, and, he, and I think he liked it just as much. You know, I think he was one of those things where, um, you know, he left feeling good about both schools. Um, but you know, he's he's of the mindset, and I kind of appreciate this a little bit more when it comes to these recruits. Is he wants to see how both of these coaches do in their first year? Yeah, right. And and how the season sort of goes, and um, before he 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 kind of picks one. I know he's a take for Miami, even if Miami gets Samson Okunlola and. Uh, Kinsler and, and end up with five offensive t- uh, attack, uh, offensive linemen rather in this recruiting class, they would still take them as the sixth guy. How desperate are the Gators for Freeling is my question to you. And, and what do you think plays out here? Uh, they need a position of need. He's a, he's an elite guy with, with good size. Um, they haven't been thrilled with their tackle play for three or four years, quite honestly, you know, they developed Stone Forsyth into a, a serviceable guy who got drafted in the low rounds. But, uh, you know, they, they brought in uh, Gene DeLance from Texas, who somehow held a starting job for three years, even though um, they weren't always happy with the production. And now, you know, Richard uh, Garage is there, um, a former top 100 guy on the left side, but there's, there's no depth. Uh, so I, I think not only do they want him, I think they're willing to wait for him as well. And, and you raised a good point because, you know, we, we've never taken commitments as really <laughs> a lock solid binding thing. Right. And mm-hmm. now suddenly we are. And I think when you have a new coaching staff, commitments are even more, uh, more tenuous than they were before. Uh, you know, if Florida comes out of the gate and loses to Utah and Kentucky at home as a faction of people are worried about, then it gets really tougher for them to close the deal later in the season. If Miami doesn't win games under uh, Mario in season one, you might be able to peel off a guy or two uh, because things can go south in a hurry. Um, so, yeah, I, if, if I'm a kid in that situation and you've got a situation where you know that teams will be patient with you and they don't have to have an answer by you know August 5th, 
then then do it, man, because there's there's a lot a lot going to happen. I, I take that approach with Texas and Sarkeesian. I think that wonderful class that he's put together, you know, if things go south, man, by by late October, November, guys could be bailing from that class. Mm-hmm. And ARC could get stronger if they if they verify. But he, he's, he's on the hot seat. So uh, not so much hot seat for Mario and, and Billy, but certainly games will impact decisions at these – for these first-year coaches more so than they would for, say, if Kirby Smart loses a couple games early. Yeah, yeah. And, and Monroe, by the way, said he's going to probably attend games early in the year. So those, those you know, those early season games for Miami and Florida, I think that's their chance to, to kind of impress them, and then they got to follow it up by having a good season. But he'll at least be there in person to soak in the environment. Uh, so he said he's going to, you know, I asked him which games he was planning to go to. He said he hadn't picked them yet, you know, what which weekend or whatever. Sure. Uh, and, and on that part that you bring yeah. up about those those end season visits, yeah, those are almost purely atmosphere based, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to get them there. I know when when Alabama came into Florida last year, oh god, the the list was two hundred deep of twenty twenty three, twenty four, even twenty five, maybe one twenty six prospect was wow. there. But obviously, the coaches don't have time to to dig in with those kids they meet yeah. them before the game they get to eat they get to soak it up but th- but that's what that's about and then you try to do the ov either later or early if it, if it hasn't happened yet so those are the games that, that need a crowd uh need your team to play well and then um but one thing i'm sure mario has addressed much like uh, billy has is you try to build enough staff in so that someone can take care of them on that weekend and there's not just have a meal, shake the coach's hand, and then go watch the game. That you've actually got some recruiting people and maybe uh, on-campus people who can who can try to make it feel a little officially visity, even though yeah. it's completely unofficial. <laughs> so that's that's one thing when I when I see these people saying, "Oh, well, if they get there during during the season, that's not the time." Coaches love to have them there because mm-hmm. they can't dig in on them. You know, they right. can't make a they can't make a pitch. Sunday they got to go to work on the next game. And Saturday they're coaching, and Friday night they've even got stuff to do. So that's one where the fans can have an impact on recruiting by packing a stadium. Yeah, and and Miami fans, you know, I know there's there's a bigger level of excitement. I think they they've got a few more thousand season tickets sold with Mario here and all that. But you know, and they have two very winnable games. So for Miami's sake, they better hope you know Freeling shows up for those first two weeks because <laughs> after that, who knows? Once after they play Texas A and M, you know how the how the feeling around the program will be. Um, I want to move into um, realignment in a second, but let's talk a, a couple more uncommitted guys. Uh, Kormani McLean, the five-star cornerback out of Lakeland. Uh, I drove up when he was, when Mario went up to uh, visit him at his previous school um, and, you know, was, was there talking to the whole class or whatever, but basically there to speak to Kormani in person. And <laughs> I, I got the sense that, you know, he made an impact. I thought Miami, you know, is legitimately in the race for him. Everybody just kind of penciled Cormani into, well, he's going to be a Gator, right? Because all those kids out of Lakeland always pick Florida. Sure. But it feels like, and, and from talking to some of the guys at the South Florida Express, uh, you know, I covered them quite a bit uh, and was around them. And, and, and of course, I had um, Andrew Ferrelli on my, on my previous podcast. You know, he thinks he's going to end up at Alabama. Alabama's the c- clear leader. But how you know, the whole Cormani thing from the Gators perspective, what's the feeling on him? And do they think there's any chance that they could, they could sway him here at the end? Or, or is it kind of already a foregone conclusion? He's, he's going to Bama. Well, they're not gonna, they're not gonna stop pursuing him. 
because, uh, you know, things can change. But, yeah, that's one that I think fans penciled in as uh, a must-get. And, you know, here you are about to enter camp, and, and all signs point to him going somewhere else, and he's – Amber Alert. And there was – All right. And just – it's also a position of need because you can't have enough man cover corners, you know. Or, or in his case, even if he were to move to safety at some point, he'd be a, an elite cover safety. You can't have enough of those when you're playing five DBs um, in this day and age. So I think that's going to be a gut punch if uh, if things don't change and, and Florida digs in on him because of the history you've mentioned and the fact that, hey, you know, Florida likes to call itself DBU, right? So right. you got one in an area where you've done well before, where there's sort of a lineage and a legacy. And, uh, and that's exactly the kind of guy that fans were hoping uh, Napier and Corey Raymond, the LSU assistant they brought in, could close on. But, I mean, it's tough because he's been a top, you know, top five or ten guy uh, in that class every step of the way, right? Yeah. And Travaris Robinson, who was recruiting him to Miami, is, is at Alabama now, and they've had a long relationship. And But that'll be one to watch, obviously, I think, all the way up until the end when he when he finally makes his decision. I just think right now Alabama's sort of clearing away the leader. And Miami feels like they're second, honestly. I mean, Demarcus Van Dyke, who's on staff here, used to be the, the cornerbacks coach with, with T-Rob. They've had a long relationship, but the Gators, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think you can never just discount them and say there's no way he won't think about staying close to home. Um, here's one more. A- Andy Jean, the former Miami commitment, he's a four-star receiver, number three, uh, 34 in the, in the composite. Um, any intel on him and, and where the Gators feel? Because I think they, they had him on campus, right, for a visit, or they're going to have him on campus for a visit. I, I forget which one it is. Yeah, I think he, you know, he was a guy that a month ago I sort of had – you know, whether it was based on conversations with you or just look at their numbers, it sort of assumed he was a fringe guy for them, you know, that they'd like to have him, but maybe uh, it wasn't trending so well. And, and now it looks like they, they might have a, a better shot at him. Uh, they are expected to pick up a commitment from a four-star receiver, you know, Aiden Mizell on Friday. And they technically, <laughs> I say technically because they have three wide receivers committed already. Uh, you know, one of those, Eugene Wilson out of Tampa, is really a, a guy that a lot of programs like at cornerback. So maybe there's fl- uh, positional flexibility for him. And then they've got a, a, a 400 rated kid, Tyree Patterson out of Eustis. And then Trent Whittemore's younger brother here out of Gainesville, Creed Whittemore, who's uh, all the way down at 802, although fast kid can play in the slot. So they don't have yet that sort of elite looking wide receiver so I think there will be room it's another position of need they've got a sort of a bunch of big guys who aren't necessarily top end speed guys on campus now they want to increase that athleticism and that speed and so I I think they're willing to to shuffle and take um, even if Mizell follows through on Friday and and does commit I I think Andy Jean would still be a guy that uh, they would look at. Yeah, so to me, it seems like if we're, if we're looking for future Florida Miami recruiting battles, it's probably uh, Freeling, Andy Jean, and Cormani McLean. If it, if McLean doesn't go to Bama, um, I think those are the three to sort of watch going forward. Um, all right, we touched on it briefly earlier. We were, we were going to get into realignment. We are, um, but you just you know came from SEC media days. I think Paul Feinbaum uh, went on. Uh, 
the radio or ESPN. I think he was on SportsCenter, one of the shows in the morning and, and basically, you know, mentioned Miami as one of the schools that potentially the SEC might be interested in if they if they ever expand. Um, I don't see why they would. They've got a great 16 team league once Oklahoma and Texas come in and the money uh, is great. And uh, I guess my question to you, just being at SEC Media Days, what what is your thought process on? just realignment in general. And, and what do you think is going to happen here in the next couple of years? What was the sense you got from being there? Is the SEC serious about adding teams or do you think they're just waiting to see what Notre Dame does, which is what my gut tells me? Well, you know, when Texas and Oklahoma came aboard last year, it was really the SEC's first membership change since 2012. Right. And before that it had been 1992. So the, the pace of realignment nationwide moves faster sometimes than some of the power conferences do. Uh, it took the Big 12 roughly a calendar year to respond to Texas and Oklahoma by taking USC and UCLA. So uh, that was sort of the answer. So I think you're looking at two teams, right, two conferences right now that are a year or two out or 16 teams. Uh, so I don't expect the SEC to counter right away. But I will say that when Texas and OU came aboard last year, the first thing multiple ADs told me was, as we were just collecting string on what it meant at the time, they said, well, does the SEC, you know, are they going to 20 or are they trying to go to 28? And they're just talking about the SEC going to 20 or 28 as a super wow. office. And that just struck me as, as lunacy because I, you know, I, I didn't know that the, the per share revenue would be there to go that high. Um, now, you know, you look at the obvious candidates, ones that make geographic sense because Greg Sakey keeps talking about contiguous states, right? Mm -hmm. He, I mean, would, would the SEC take Notre Dame if Notre Dame wanted to come? I believe Sankey would, would make an exception to go into Indiana, <laughs> but Clemson, FSU, Miami, North Carolina, Va Tech, those are the schools that, that make sense if you're trying to, go four or six larger. I don't know that they are. And I've had a couple of industry people tell me right now that even Clemson, and this is hard for me to fathom, even Clemson doesn't move the needle as far as revenue for the whole conference. Because if you think about it, if Clemson were to come aboard, let's say Clemson and Miami, well, those two teams have to make enough that the other 16 also get a bigger slice of the pie versus, right. hey, you make the same or less. Right. And that's not the goal. And I, I think, to me, I think Clemson belongs in the SEC. I think the culture is the same. I think the city is the same. Uh, the, the passion. Well, they the were in the same. SEC at one point. So, well, yeah, I mean, that's that's one that that makes sense to me. Um, Miami. I keep hearing people say the market, but you know, you, you're there, man. Is it is it a college football market or is it a Dolphins Heat? Who's Maybe hot lately, team? Marlins. Mar <laughs> yes, it's such a transient city, right? I mean, there's yeah. you, you got generational people there, but you also got a, a ton of people moving in that, that like other sports uh, in, across the country. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's a sustained passion. And the other argument I've heard about Miami is when they're rolling, they pack it out. But yeah. obviously, you have to take the bad years or the average years into account, not just the, you know, hey, when they're winning national championships they have a full stadium and, and they are good TV draw uh, because that's been a while. Right. Um, mm. But I think they're, I think they're in position to make a case, but I, I don't think the SEC is necessarily going to just say, we want to take the four most attractive ACC schools at some point, taking out all the grant of rights 
mess, which yeah. has really slowed that down. I, I don't know that the SEC is in a, in, a, in a race to get to 18 or 20 just because. And I would even make, and this may be heresy to the Miami people, I would even say that a, a program like Virginia Tech might benefit the SEC more than Miami because you're not in that state already. And there's a lot of passion at Virginia Tech and they pack out their stadium every time, even though they haven't won at nearly the level historically that Miami has. Yeah. Um, I know our colleague Andy Staples thinks North Carolina is the key to everything because they're sort of a school that could go Big Ten or SEC, right? They've got the academics, <laughs> I say academics, uh, to go to the Big Ten, but they're in a, a state that would help the SEC theoretically. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, the, the one comment I've heard from an AD about this whole future of SEC uh, relative to this next year is nobody out there is Texas or Oklahoma. Right. Clemson's not. FSU's not. Miami's not. So there's not that obvious moneymaker brand enhancer team, even though there are some really good programs with championship pedigree. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, I, I agree with all those sentiments. And, and you know, the thing with Miami, and, and I heard this this point made um, by a couple different people, but, you know, the SEC is already in the state of Florida. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure the Gators... And they probably don't want Miami in there either. And I guess that's my question to you is being the Gators writer. What have you heard about that and and sort of Florida's influence on on all those kind of topics when when it comes to would they even want Miami in the same conference with them? Well, if you think it's tough to recruit against Mario now Mm -hmm. when he's playing an ACC schedule, let Mario walk into the homes of kids and say, hey, you want to go play Georgia, LSU, Texas A&M and Texas? I mean, yeah, it, it would benefit. Miami more than it would benefit Florida for the Canes to be in the SEC. Even if Florida, let's say it did net Florida an extra 10 to 15 million a year, which I'm not sure it would, but let's say it does. (laughs) 
I, you know, I, I think there's some sentiment there. And for years, the SEC allowed its members to sort of veto in-state schools. That was, I guess, the gentleman's agreement until, if we're led to believe that A&M didn't know about Texas last year, that all right. went by the wayside. But then again, Texas is only a, a, a recent addition, right? Texas A&M, rather. They've been in 10 years. Um, you know, Florida could veto. Florida had the chance to veto FSU in the early 90s when the SEC did invite FSU and Florida relented and said, okay, we'll do it. South Carolina theoretically has had the uh, ability to say, we don't want Clemson, even though I think South, Car- South Carolina would actually welcome that. Um, so we'll see if that old guard of the relationship really stands up. Cause once the way things are shifting now, I, I, I don't know that it matters, but, but right. Florida as an original member of the SEC would certainly have something to say about that. And if it came down to FSU or Miami, my guess is, uh, the Florida leadership would say, uh, let's take the team in Tallahassee. We play them every year anyway, and we recruit against them and, uh, and, and, and freeze Miami out. Um, for, for our listeners who, who don't subscribe to The Athletic, um, I would suggest signing up just to read Andy Staple's story on, you know, the stats that he threw out here, which was, you know, million, million viewers. Um, you know, how many games drew million viewers outside of these two super two conferences, right? Which teams, um, he put together this list and Clemson is at the top with 34 Florida state next with 31. This is since 2015, by the way, Washington third with 28, Oregon fourth with 26. And then Miami, uh, next with 22nd, those are your top five. So if you think about it, let, let's just assume that, right. All these TV deals and, and this conference realignment has to do with eyeballs, right? How many eyeballs you bring. I mean, Miami's fifth in the pecking order, Florida state's second. So um, not that the sec is, and the big 10 will only look at that because there's right. There's always other factors to play a role, but I, I want Miami fans to get an idea of where they stand in the pecking order. Cause I think they've always sort of said, well, we're great for TV. Everybody's going to want us. Well, no, there's a difference between Miami and Clemson by, by 12 games. Just if you look at the, the TV numbers, Florida state still nine more games with more eyeballs than Miami since 2015. And that's through four pretty terrible seasons, right? Yeah. The last few years of Florida state's had. So, um, you know, if Miami ever fits into the sec, I don't know. Um, but my, my gut tells me, Alan, and I, and I, you know, I, this was part of one of my mailbag questions recently. My gut just tells me, you know, if, if Notre Dame decides to stay independent, I just, and considering the grant of right situation that, that uh, the ACC is in, um, like, I, I just, I don't see a lot of movement happening here. Right. Cause there, there's, to me, I don't look at the big 10 and sec and say, there's anybody who's going to make them more valuable. That's, that's the bottom line. Yeah. And, you know, people that have studied contracts way more than you or I will ever have differing opinions on the water tightness of that grant of rights deal. You know, some say it's, it's, it's there. You'd have to buy your way out of it. Others say that there might be enough schools to, to vote it down to, to change it. So I don't know where that could go. It's, it's really it inhibits movement. And all the schools that signed it signed it knowing that it inhibits movement. So that's tough. That's tough to beat that's down. Tough to you know? court. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Notre Dame such a linchpin. If if the ACC could pull off them as a member, then man, that changes that changes the whole complexion of that conference. Because maybe you take a second member with them, uh, you know, maybe a West Virginia or somebody. But Notre mm-hmm. Dame, if were they to choose the ACC and to be able to, even if it meant a bigger share, which I think the ACC would be fine with, quite honestly, uh, then then that could really fortify the ACC for years to come. Because right now, the Pac-12 is clearly five. 
I think the Big 12 is in better shape. Mm-hmm. Whether or not they raid the Pac-12 four, which I think is going to break off here, but if, even if that doesn't happen, I think I'd rather watch Big 12 football right now than a lot of the inventory on the ACC side of things. You know, Miami, Florida State, Clemson excluded. There's some games there that are just dogs. Yeah. And they've historically been dogs. And it takes a special year for you to even know that Wake Forest has a football program, honestly, despite what a great coach they have. Um, so so that's, that's I think, the ACC's long-term viability, if it wants to, to be that in that number three slot, which is the best you can hope for right now, uh, involves Notre Dame. Yeah. And, uh, and Miami's hope, you know, we'll see. I mean, it seems like only yesterday that Texas A&M joined the SEC and 10 years have passed. Well, 10 years from now, that ground of rice will be up. And if, if college football <laughs> well, has 14 years from now, Oh my gosh, it takes yes, so long. it's that long. Uh, yeah. It's like 36, a 30 year mortgage, brother. brother. Um, <laughs> I'll be you know, 58 if, when that thing's yeah, over. <laughs> I think all this goes out the window too. If, if, if FBS college football just decides our power five, that they're going to break away. If they break away and the top 40 or 45 teams go into this, sort of hodgepodge of super conferences, then Miami's in good shape because Miami's, Miami's going to be in that group. Yeah. Um, hey, let that dog in, brother. Can you hear him? Yeah, I can hear him. <laughs> he's, he's, he's dying to come in, man. Let him in. Uh, yeah, I, for our listeners, I, I just – I feel like, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of excitement over realignment and everything, but I don't know, man. I just – I think in, in, in the long run here, you know, there's a lot of money at stake – I know the Pac-12 TV deal ends and, and the Big 12 and they're, they're welcoming those new teams and all that stuff. And the ACC, you know, ESPN, uh, they're saying that they're going to work with them to, to give them a little bit more money. But once that gap widens by the end of this decade, there are going to be some real antsy people in charge yeah. and, and you're going to probably see a lot more aggressive. I just think it's, it's too early. I mean, we're in, we're in 2022. I think we've got another four or five years of status quo after, after these other schools uh, move. Texas and, and Oklahoma and, uh, of course, Ohio State and, uh, I mean, not Ohio State, uh, USC and, and UCLA. Um, all right, let's move on to we'll wrap this thing up soon because I think your dogs, by the time I wrap this thing up, I mean, your dog may want to go back out to the bathroom, so I want to make sure we... <laughs> I don't know what about the Florida heat is not appealing to him right now on the patio. I don't... <laughs> he smells like he just ran a marathon. Though. <laughs> hey, um, camp starting for Florida... Uh, I think Wednesday, it's starting for Miami um, next Friday, August 5th. Um, how good is this Gator team going to be? Five wins is the floor. I think probably eight wins is a ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last year's team wasn't a six and seven team. They, they gave away a game in Kentucky, gave away a game in Missouri, didn't show up against South Carolina, a team that were way more talented than and wound up getting beat by 20. Um, you know, had it should have been an overtime against Alabama, but a miss PAT complicated thing. So that, you know, last year's team talent wise was, was eight or nine wins. It really was. And things fell apart and that's why you got a, a staff turnover. I will say, I think last year's roster top to bottom was better than this year's roster is right now. But as you and I know, we've seen coaches come in and change the culture and snap guys into line and that can steal a win or two, right? I mean, they lost the Kentucky game because of some undisciplined issues. They lost the LSU game two years ago because of <laughs> college football's most undisciplined moment in the history of the sport, right? Uh, so I think that culture shift will help them and might win a game or two. And, you know, losing to Miami 
Kentucky, South Carolina, and Missouri. I'm sorry, Missouri, South Carolina, and Kentucky on the road. All three of those games are at home this year. And who would have thought that would be a revenge tour mm-hmm. for the Gators? <laughs> you know, losing to those three teams. So I like their chances there. Um, right now, I've got them at seven and five regular season, uh, knowing that there's four or five swing games. Um, I, I don't think there's any chance of them winning the East. Uh, it's just their, their crossover rivals are LSU, which is every year, and they have to go back to College Station for the second time in three years uh, to play in that environment. So it's seven to five. Even if Anthony Richardson balls out and becomes what some people think he can be, I, I just don't, I don't think there's enough around him to elevate this team into, you know, the top 10. Who'd you, uh, who'd you pick to win the conference, Georgia or uh, Bama? Last year I picked Georgia. This year I'm picking Bama because I think, I think Georgia this year is in the situation Alabama was last year, which was really talented but a little bit inexperienced. And you need those guys to have that year of growing up. And it's so weird when we talk about Alabama and Georgia in terms of, well, if they grow up but don't excel, oh, they'll only get in the college football playoff and not win a national championship. <laughs> <laughs> Those two programs have separated themselves to, to the point of finishing second in the country yeah. is a disappointment. And um, it's going to take, take a lot for Brian Kelly at LSU to play catch up. I don't know how Auburn's ever going to do it. Uh, good luck to Tennessee. And so that's, that's where things are. And it won't be that way forever. By the time Miami's in the SEC, Saban won't be coaching. And, you know, Kirby <laughs> Smart will be in Alabama, right? Yes. You know, there was a point where we argued that he was – uh, when he was at Oregon, that was one of the top three or four sort of possibilities, you know, him mm-hmm. and obviously Dabo. But, um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, it's, it's just a different world, man. You may get him on a given Saturday like A&M did last year with Alabama, but then a and going to lose to Mississippi State. Well, Alabama's not going to lose to A&M and Mississippi State. They just mm-hmm. they don't they don't have that kind of screw-up factor in them because – their second team is so good. Their third team guys could start at a lot of SEC schools. And that's where you get into that whole talent rating and why it's important. Because I abhor recruiting from a standpoint of fixating on one player, right? Because I think it's, it's, mar- it's a coin flip on one player. But when you start talking about 25 guys in a class, 75 guys in three classes, well, then the ratings matter because yeah. you're not missing on all those dudes. Um, right. And, and it's, in, it's incredible, the, the talent that those two programs have acquired. Mm-hmm. By the way, I don't know if you saw, and, and, and Andy, I think Staples, our, our Andy Staples was talking about this with, with Ari Wasserman, the whole blue blue chip ratio. You see that on, on 247 that came out a couple weeks ago. Miami and Florida are on there among the 15 teams that you know have more blue chip recruits than, than non over the last four classes. Florida is 60%, which is 10th, and Miami's 14th with 55. Um, but my my whole point to all this is you're thinking eight wins. Miami's won 10, 10 games once since 2003. Um, it doesn't matter if you're even just over 50 or 60%, right? I mean, it's it's you got to be in that 80 to 90%, which goes back to what we started talking about in the beginning of all this, that you're really going to have a chance, man. Like Miami and Florida still weighs off, right? I mean, that's I think you and I can agree on that, that I mean, this, this is going to be a two or three year venture i think for both of these programs before i think we can even really say they should be contending for a playoff spot yeah i mean it used to be the talent was it it was never spread out evenly but the margin was small enough to where if you got a generational quarterback and one other good dude it could work right 
I'm, I'm doing this mental exercise now where if I were to give Florida Bryce Young and Will Anderson mm-hmm. for this upcoming year, I don't think they win the East. I think wow. there's that much of a difference between them and Georgia because, uh, because of the other components that are missing. It would help their chances, <laughs> but I don't think those two guys, a Heisman winning quarterback and a potential number one draft pick at Florida this year, I don't think gets them to say 10 and two or 11 and one to win the East because of that. And I don't know how long has it been since you would say that about an FSU or a Florida or a Miami. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, it's yeah, it's 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 been a rough go, uh, and I know Florida fans feel like they've missed a window because FSU has been down, right? And Miami hasn't been elite, um, but neither has Florida. They they won the East once under Mullen and gave Bama a good game, but uh, you know that was that was the crescendo of of that tenure, and now yeah. they're starting over again. Well, for Miami's sake, I'm I'm just happy they're taking football seriously because I think we you know everybody's been covering this team for years said you're never really going to be in the game unless you spend some money and get some great coaches here and get some, some real resources and, you know, guys like Ruiz and, and some of the other fundraisers behind the scenes at Miami to, to make the run that they made at Mario to just get them in the conversation, uh, you know, to get, to get them in the race for some of these elite players to, to start coming here again. Um, but, but the gap is vast and there's a lot of work to be done. And that's why when Mario says things like, you know, the U's not back, we're, we're back to work. I know it sounds corny as hell and we all roll our eyes as sports writers, but he's right. He's got the right perspective because there's a long way to go before you get to that, that upper echelon level, which is really all Miami and Florida want, because we can sit here every year and and talk about, Hey, you know, Miami's got this quarterback and Florida's got this guy on defense and they've got, but the reality is you need a whole team. Like, and, and that's, it's been a while for both of these, these programs before you, you, you know, we, you look at it and you say, man, they got a really good team. They got a real shot. I mean, there's, there is a vast difference and, and the gap just keeps widening. So Alan, thanks for, thanks for coming on, man. And talking all this recruiting with me and uh, you know, SEC media days, realignment, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think, uh, I think, you know, when Miami and Florida play each other in a couple of years, when is it? 25? That game? Uh, I think I had it down as, is it 24 and 25, uh, 24. And then uh, they're at Miami in 25. Okay, so even sooner than we expected. I mean, I, I would say in you know, two years, Miami and Florida are in the preseason top ten, right? Yeah. You, you think you think that happens? <laughs> My final question: You think yeah. Miami and Florida when they meet preseason uh, top ten, both of them? I like Miami's chances better because with their talent level going up, I think the ACC is there for the taking, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Florida could improve this talent level and still churn out eight and four, nine and three type teams. Uh, but man, yeah, if you could pre-order tickets for 2024, that, that game, I would, uh, I would do so. Cause yeah. I think, uh, I think both schools are going to be happy with the hires they made. Um, I think there was a, a point where if Miami didn't pony up the money and really make a hard charge at Mario, that definitely he would have been on Scott Strickland's list. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are where we are. Strickland's happy with, with Napier who's a good cultural fit. And obviously Miami is just, uh, shooting the moon on Mario right now. Yeah. All right, Alan, go back to that dog and, and those kids. I know uh, I don't want to keep you away anymore, but thanks for coming on, brother. Hey, we're all dogs at heart, right? <laughs> See you, man. See you. I'm the new kid in town, about to take this crap.